Hi, I'm Julie. And I'm Liz. We are business owners turned podcasters. This show gives you the permission and tools to create your courageous second act. We call this the afterglow. Welcome to the Afterglow. Today, we are honored and thrilled to have Kim Sedgwick with us. Kim is a certified professional co-active coach and the co-founder of Red Tent Sisters. After years of offering impromptu sex coaching to friends in elevators and grocery lines, Kim was able to turn her passion into a profession as a sex educator in 2007 when Red Tent Sisters opened its doors in Toronto's East End. For five years, Kim supported customers in expanding their sexual pleasure through paid live workshops, as well as informal education. Talking about sex toys and lube comes naturally to Kim. In fact, she was once told by a customer that she sells dildos like she's selling toothbrushes. Factual and to the point, Kim puts the most shy and conservative individuals at ease and makes every person feel like having a vibe in their bedside drawer is as normal as, well, having a toothbrush. She and her sister co-created ecosex.ca, an online platform which ran until 2016 to make it easier for like-minded women and men to find indulgent and healthy sex products from independent and Canadian companies wholeheartedly committed to, I love this, environmentally friendly orgasms. Kim regularly engages in continuing education and advocacy work with regards to sexuality and gender issues. She has completed the sexual attitudes reassessment training has served on the organizing committee of G Day Toronto, donated her time as an educator to high school youth, postpartum mothers, and the monthly Toronto Bedpost, the Sex and Sexuality Variety Show series. Her work has been featured in all the major news outlets in Canada, including CTV, The Globe and Mail, The Toronto Star, and the CBC, and she has appeared as a guest expert on City TV's Sex Matters. Welcome to the Afterglow, Kim. We are so excited and a little giddy to have you on our show today. Oh, thank you so much for having me and for that introduction. To be honest, I forget how long I've been doing this work until you start referencing years. I was like, oh, yeah, I've been doing this for a little while now. Well, there's a lot there. So there's a lot to dive into. But, you know, we, we really just want to kind of start off with a song I'm sure you're very tired of. But can you sing it with me, Liz? Yeah, let's talk about it. sex, let's baby. baby. Let's, let's talk, talk about, about you and, and me. me. <laughs> Come on now. So we're excited it's about so this. good. <laughs> Brings me back. <laughs> so, Kim... We have so many questions for you, but before we dive into the nitty gritty, let's go back in time. So you were a regular kid at some point growing up in Toronto, and now you are a sexpert, a sexpert. So how does one go from riding bikes with friends to university at King's College to sex educator? Tell us, tell us all about it. Well, I have to give credit to Dan Savage. I was reading his Savage Love um articles in the back of now magazine when I went to Jarvis Collegiate all those years ago and I just became really interested in sexuality I was fortunate to have a very sex positive household I'm the youngest I've got uh, three older sisters so one sister who I founded Red Ten Sisters with and then two stepsisters which was kind of neat because then I also got different perspectives my stepsisters were raised differently than me and we would just end up having these conversations over dinner. I mean, uh, some of my friends were quite surprised to be invited over for dinner and to hear the topics of conversation were a little different than what they were used to at home. So I just had the advantage of having these older sisters to ask questions. Reading Dan Savage, my mom let me watch the Sunday night sex show. And so then people started to be like, hey, Kim seems to know a little bit about sex. Maybe I should ask her my questions. And so I just started offering informal advice. I had a friend of mine who needed birth control. So I went to Center for birth control when we were 16 or 17. Um, unfortunately, I had a friend who experienced um, sexual assault, so I coached her through that. 
Um, and yeah, I just had all these experiences at a young age. And so I've always been interested in it. And then did a women's studies degree, which I kind of fell into. I did a, an elective in women's studies. And honestly, within two minutes of sitting in that chair, I was like, this is where I'm meant to be. This is the work that I want to be doing. You use the term sex positive. What does sex positive mean? Mm, that's a great question. So for me, really sex positive is focusing on the ways that we take away the shame. Um, that's, I would say, the, sort of the number one thing is that despite the fact I grew up in, as I said, the sex positive household, there still was a lot of shame. There were certainly still some things that my parents didn't want to talk about. Um, and so I think that it's really taking away the shame element of it. And it's and the biggest way to do that is to talk about it. Right. I always say we live in this really sex saturated society and yet we never really talk about sex. Right. It's all sort of the performative elements of it. A great example would be when you think about pornography. I mean, porn is created, they're performers. They are paid to do the thing for the enjoyment of the audience. And I think that is a really interesting example of how many of us live our sex lives, right? We are doing it in performance and in service of someone else rather than for ourselves. So for me, sex positive would be a situation where you're doing it for yourself, right? So whether you are doing it for yourself because you're having solo sex, and I always say that solo sex is still sex because uh, I think it's really problematic that we have this limited definition of sex, right? It tends to be when it's with a partner and it also tends to be really heteronormative. It tends to be when it's with a male partner, right? Um, and then it tends to be defined by activities that lead to a male orgasm. So for me, sex positive is all the ways that we peel back those layers and, and get back to what it should be, which is a connection with yourself um, and a connection where you are, if you are with another person, that you are in partnership with them and not performing, but really in that partnership. So let's talk about that sex with yourself just for a moment, because I think that masturbation gets such a, a negative, it's such a negative, dirty, dismissed thing, uh, term when it comes to women, right? Men can masturbate. It's very common. We all know that they masturbate. There's jokes about it. Um, but as soon as it comes to the conversation about women masturbating, it's like, ew, it's like, Ooh, I wouldn't do that. Um, and so why is that? Why is there such a response to women, female masturbation when, as we know, it is empowering, it provides us with, uh, you know, lessons in getting to know ourselves. Like, what can you tell us about why it's so negative, but also how it can empower us? So I'll start with the why it's so negative. I think it comes back to the fact that it's not talked about. When you think about movies, I was actually having a conversation uh, with my boyfriend the other day, and we were remembering that um, American Pie movie, right, where he like masturbates into the pie. One example of many where it's the guy masturbating. How often do you see women masturbating in movies, right? In the recent, I can say, uh, yeah, I honestly can't think of any scenes. Um, so I think it's the fact that it's just not talked about and then it's not talked about within peers and then it's not talked about in the media. So I think that's a big part is just the shame around it because we're assuming if it's not being talked about, then it must be something we shouldn't be doing, right? So I think that's a big, big piece. And then the second piece that you already spoke to, Julie, is just the idea that when you do masturbate and then you start to understand your body. And I will be the first, like I got into this work because despite all of that education I had, all the Dan Savages, all the dinner time conversation, I didn't orgasm with my partner for a long time because I had so much ingrained stuff because there's all the other cultural messages that were counterproductive, right, to my body. And I didn't actually explore my body that much. I didn't really masturbate until I was started Red Ten Sisters. Like that was really the impetus. Like you, you create the thing that you need for yourself, right? Really Red Ten Sisters was built because that's what I needed. And so I think a big part of it is that 
yeah, we don't do it because of the, the shame, but then the benefits of doing it are that we can have that access for ourselves, right? That we could at any time, regardless of whether we're partnered or also even if we're partnered, we might not be around our partner. Like I've had a lot of clients right now that because of the pandemic, they're separated from their partner. So suddenly for the first time, they're like, oh, I guess I better figure out how to do this for myself, right? And I'd say that that's a really powerful experience to recognize that even if you are with a partner, and I would say even if you're with a partner who you live with, like I always encourage people to masturbate even when they are in partnership, because then you're not seeing it as this like thing that I do out of necessity, like, oh, I guess I'll take this second thing, like that really, we're still prioritizing one kind of sex. And it's like, when that's not available, okay, we'll have the sloppy seconds as masturbation. I want them to be seen as equally important. There's, there's so much you're saying. You're saying so much. You know, just the sex as performance uh, piece really stuck out for me. You know, I think of all the Cosmo articles I no longer read, but back when I was a child about, and I think they're still there. When I'm at the grocery store, I still see headlines like this. You know, how do you look sexy in bed? You know, how do you look sexy? Not how do you feel sexy <laughs> or how do you enjoy sex, but it's how do you, or how do you position yourself to cover your flaws? Um, and you know, it's not about, you're speaking about taking back the power for ourselves in terms of, you know, masturbation and masturbating gives, gives you that, but just even more broadly, what does, why are you so passionate about coaching women to sexual empowerment? What's so important about sexual empowerment for you? Because for me, it has this beautiful ripple effect. And it goes both ways that if you are not fully yourself in your sex life, it means you're not fully yourself in other places and vice versa. And for me, it's really the entry point for empowering women in all areas. And I think I've said this um, to you at one point, Liz, like, I think how you show up in the bedroom is how you show up in the boardroom and vice versa. And so interestingly, I actually now work for um, a huge corporation and I'm really passionate about leadership there. And I'm bringing a lot of what I've learned through my sexuality coaching, which I'm sure a lot of the people in this huge corporate office would be like, how is there a connection between those two? But really for me, the connection is being a leader, regardless of whether you're in a leadership position. And really what that means for me is, is asking those tough questions and it's raising your hand and really seeing yourself as an equal rather than always deferring to someone else. So an example would be that in a lot of relationships, I feel like and for women that we're looking to our partner, we're responding to what they're asking for rather than being the one to speak up. Right. And so for me, that's the parallel. I just want to put a pause there because what you said is so important. So if we show up mousy in the bedroom, we will show up mousy in life. If we show up in the bedroom and we can't express what we want, we will not be able to do that in life. There are parallels there is what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. And I love the word mousy because to me it's, it's making yourself small. And I see that all the time Mm -hmm. with women is that we diminish our power. We make ourselves literally smaller. And you look at diet culture and all the body stuff that's going on. It's all about making ourselves smaller, not taking up space. Mm -hmm. And for me, and I just, I can feel it. Like you can see in my body, like I can feel that constriction. And Mm -hmm. for me, sexual empowerment is really about taking up that space again, whether it's in the bedroom or the boardroom. I just want to be a testament to that because you saying um, how we show up in the bedroom is how we show up in life is, is, is really probably one of the reasons why my marriage collapsed. Mm-hmm. I, I, for 20 years, um, you know, we struggled. This was our biggest area of struggle that and money. Um, but it was reflective of how I was showing up in my life. I was not completely alive. I was not fully myself. I was not fully embodying who I was meant to be taking my own power, embracing my own femininity. There was just so many things that were missing. 
even though I always considered myself like a strong, confident woman, you know, there were all of these pieces that were lacking and that were missing. And then obviously, you know, I think really for me, it was not showing up in the bedroom at all. And then, you know, come to my next relationship where I'm just this like, open, empowered, sexual being. And, you know, my business is thriving and I'm connecting in relationships, um, like with other women on this deeply feminine, empowering level. So, I mean, I think that that is, is so powerful. It's so important. You you talk about, um, pleasure, right. As being this necessary part of life and how, when we compartmentalize sex, um, you know, we're separating pleasure away from sex. And I think that I definitely did that in my marriage. I definitely uh, would think, you know, I'm a mom, I'm busy, I'm doing this, I've got to clean this, I've got to do that. I didn't know how to then get into my sexual being. Whereas I feel like now more, I, you know, I kind of am embodying that everywhere I go and everything I do. So like, watch out. But um, so, so what are we missing out in other areas of our life if we're only looking to find pleasure sometimes in the bedroom. Yeah. I mean, I think you just spoke to it. It's this compartmentalizing, right? It's this like, you know, sex is over here and intimacy is over here and like everything else is separate. You can't separate those parts of yourself. And I think that is really reflective again of how women try and be all these things, but not actually integrate them. Right. And we talk about, you know, being a mother and a lover and how those two things are hard. Like I talk to a lot of new moms around sexuality and having that that challenge integrating those. Cause I think we are meant to be these or not that we're meant to, but that's what we're taught to do is to separate them. And really what I advocate for and help coach women to do is to bring all those things together and to have that pleasure in every experience. And I will speak for myself that when I started working this corporate job that I felt like I left a piece of myself um, aside, you know, again, you coach the, the things that you have a hard time doing yourself. So I end up hiring a coach to remind me of what the importance of that, that I needed to bring my whole self. And not surprisingly, I've worked my way up in that company. And my manager has said that she's like, I like that you have grown. And it seems like I know you more than I did before. Right. Um, But that took real courage, because in a boardroom, it's not necessarily typically um, encouraged to bring some of the things that I did, like my swearing and all the other things I did. I am thinking about myself and what you said is so true. Just the fact that we create what we need in life or we learn what we most need. Right. And I have this confidence program for women and and it's because I have struggled with confidence and I've learned so much about how to uh, cultivate more confidence and how to be more courageous in my life. But I'll be a hundred percent honest and I can't believe I'm admitting this on air. I am not that way in the bedroom. It is definitely something that I want to improve on. And I've shared this with my husband and he's obviously excited. And, you know, it's good for both of us. It's good for both of us. And because I, I do, I recognize the parallels there between what I, how I want to be in my life and how I'm showing up uh, in the intimate corners of my bedroom. So for someone like me, you know, what can you offer? You've talked about, I've heard you talk about the brakes and the accelerators so, you know, can you tell us a little bit about those and maybe touch on the accelerators? I'd love to hear about those. For sure. So first, I got to give credit where credit is due. There is an, an amazing woman, Emily Nagoski, who wrote a book, Come As You Are, that I recommend to every single one of my clients. Uh, she's a phenomenal, phenomenal educator. And she talks about this idea of the brakes and the accelerator. So using this, this car metaphor. And the idea is that the brakes are all the things that prevent us from being fully in our body prevent us from being fully present and enjoying our sexuality. And then there's the accelerator. It's all the things that we add. 
And she points out that in our society, it's a lot of the accelerator. So it's, it's the Cosmo things that you were mentioning before, Liz. It's like, okay, add the lingerie, add the dildos, add this, which, you know, I sold dildos for years. So I'm a huge advocate of those. But the problem is when we only are putting one thing and we're only adding accelerators, but we're not dealing with the break, we're not going to go anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. So the breaks are all the things that prevent us. So that's the never ending to-do list, the, you know, the, the feeling that we're never good enough, the people pleasing, all of the cultural ideas around what sexuality is supposed to look like. Those are all the breaks. And if you are only dealing with one half of the equation, you're never going to get anywhere. Um, And to your point, Liz, in terms of the accelerator, for me, the big thing is what are the accelerators for you? So this one size fits all doesn't work for a lot of people. Like I actually find that traditional lingerie just makes my skin itchy. I have extremely um, sensitive skin. You can probably see right now, my apartment's hot. I'm already breaking out because that's just what my body does. Right. And it's often polyester. Yeah, exactly. It's like not breathable fabrics. (laughs) Who created this stuff? Right. Exactly. Along with the thongs. Right. So, So this is, these are the things that we're like, okay, just add this and this. So for me, I always try and encourage women to think about like, what are the unique accelerators for you? And for moment it is lingerie and I'm like that's awesome if that's truly the thing for you but to take that pause and reflect rather than just jumping on the things that we are told um, to enjoy so I mean for me one of my biggest accelerators is sexy music like anytime I'm dancing I'm moving my body so that's what I do with my partner is like we'll just have like a little impromptu dance party um, in the kitchen and sometimes like, what, is I, it Marvin Gaye? Is it Marvin Gaye? Or what, what sexy? <laughs> like, I think I, need, I would like to. What is sexy music? Tell me. Well, like, but there, that's, that's funny that you just said, like, tell me what the sexy, like, it has to be what's sexy for you, right? <laughs> yeah. And I always joke that for me, like, again, even though I sold porn for years as part of our store, like, for me, porn is watching Dirty Dancing. Like, that scene of yes. the two of them dancing yes. whew, gets me going every time. Uh-huh. Um, so, like, but figuring out what it is for you. And yeah, some of the sexy songs are, are not the same that they would be for other people, right? Um, so it's really about the individualized. And I think that's part of what's interesting about my work is that people so often come to me and they're like, okay, I'll book a couple sessions. So just tell me all the things I need to do. Like they want another to-do list. And I was like, <laughs> I hate to break it to you, but I'm actually going to do the opposite. There's no list. There's no, like, here are the five things that are magically going to change. It's really, unfortunately, a longer process, but totally worth it of tapping into what matters to you. And I will say again, for myself, how much I realized I was doing things out of a performative nature that I was mm-hmm. acting in certain ways because I thought it was what I was supposed to do as opposed to what truly made me feel good. I imagine that for women listening, and I know for myself, it, it'd be difficult to go from like being that um, timid and insecure woman in the bedroom to all of a sudden being like some sexual beast. Like there's just, and I think that that's sort of a a myth that we have to do that. Like we have to take ourselves of who we are and then bring ourselves into the bedroom and then become this like wild sexual animal. Right. And I, I actually remember this as well in my marriage. I feel really sorry for my ex-husband right now, but um, I'll tell him not to listen to this. Yeah. I'll tell him not to listen. And by the way, dad, if you're listening, now's the time to stop. Um, but, um, in my marriage, I remember if if I did, if that did happen, right, if I did all of a sudden have a night where I was just a little bit more free, I didn't want to talk about it the next day. I didn't want him to come up and say to me, wow, you were an animal last night. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I, because now I'm mom or now I'm the wife who's washing the dishes or now I'm the business person. Like, I didn't want to commingle all of that. And I didn't want him to have that idea of me for some reason. 
So I'm curious, and, and it's kind of on top of Liz's question too, which is how do we baby step our way into getting more comfortable, right? Like you, you seem to now, and you've talked about not necessarily always being that way, but have such a strong sense of body and self and confidence with all of this. How do we not go from timid mouse to like sexual, you know, goddess? Like how, how do we find our way there in baby steps? Well, I think you just, you spoke to it right there with the baby steps. And why I think that's really important is that there's a sort of this myth that you just like magically get confident at things um, by talking about it, which I'm a huge proponent of talking. I mean, again, back to the shame idea, I think that's a huge factor, but you only ever get confident by doing. And so I think the baby steps and starting with a little something and being like, okay, now I have evidence that I can do this. Now I can do this next thing. And you have that point of reference of going, oh, I actually really enjoyed it last time. So what if I did that plus this other thing? And so kind of using it as like the building block metaphor of like that you just have one thing stacking on top of another. So I really don't think there's any step that's too small. Anything that you do, literally anything that you do that is different than what you've done before is moving you towards where you want to be. Because even if you try something and you realize, oh, actually, I like so did not like that, you now have information about what you don't like. And you can maybe flip that around. And that's part of why I loved having the storefront is that when people came in, even if they didn't end up uh, purchasing any of the things, just being open to being in a space that was open and had things to bounce ideas off of, that they would see a photo and be like, oh, what do you think about bondage? And even if they're like, oh, actually, I really don't like that. It's like, okay, what didn't you like about that? Maybe we can find the reverse of it, right? It's just anything that's moving you forward. Um, so that is why I'm a huge proponent of people can go to a store, obviously, right now, um, that might not be possible with quarantine, but going online, that's the beauty of all these online sex stores, right, is just to have some place to start that conversation to get thinking about what might be different and what might um, open you up to a new kind of um, type of pleasure. So like stepping out of our comfort zones, right? Like in anything, mm-hmm. you have to push yourself that little bit to get out of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, something like using um, videos, like there's a lot of really great instructional videos, which again, gives you like something to work off of and be like, oh, look what they tried. Maybe we can try that. Um, And for me, lubricant is always one of the number one things that I recommend to women as a starting place, because for a lot of women, it's actually the discomfort, like the physical discomfort that's meaning like, wow, why would you want to have sex if it's not feeling good, if it's causing you pain? Um, So I'm a huge proponent for lubricant um, because even if you're not experiencing pain, I just think, you know, anytime you make things more slippery, it's going to make them more fun. Um, And then that again is like, it's taking one step. So maybe you need to go into a store or you need to go online to buy it. So then that's also getting that conversation going. Can you tell us, you mentioned a couple of times that there was stuff you had to overcome. So even though you grew up in this sex positive household, you had to overcome some of the internalized shame messaging, whether it was from your family or from the culture or whatever. So what did you have to overcome and how did you do it? Oh boy, it's quite the long list. All right. So, I mean, I'd say it's probably the one that's been the hardest. And again, I'll be totally at fine. It's something I continue to work through is the people pleasing, putting other people first, that I was always more focused on the other person's pleasure and mine was secondary. And that even when I had partners who were enthusiastic that they wanted to do things for me, but like, no, 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 I'm good. Like, let's keep going on you. Right. So this people pleasing was so ingrained in me. Um, and it continues to show up even with my current partner that every once in a while, he's like, Hey, Kim, you're doing that thing that you're not supposed to do anymore, where you put me first. Um, and thank goodness I have a partner who calls me on it. I mean, that's one of the many reasons why I love him so much. So I'd say that the people pleasing and 
again, why that is one that has been so hard is that shows up in, in the boardroom. It shows up in all kinds of other contexts, right? Of just prioritizing other people. For me, the other big one was um, body insecurity. So I, you know, had yo-yo dieting. I was in the hospital at one point for body image stuff um, and was really insecure about my breasts and the fact that they were small. So I was constantly buying like all the big push-up bras and all the things to try and make myself look the way that porn stars look. And I was like, that's just never going to be my body. Um, and so I'm really fortunate that I worked um, with some great therapists and coaches and I've had some fantastic partners who've really been like, Kim, breasts are not the thing that define you as a woman. Um, which seems so ridiculous and is the kind of thing I would, you know, tell a client. But again, it's it's a lot harder when it's yourself. I think we need to repeat that. Breasts are not the thing that define you as a woman. Neither yes. is your ass. I love that. That's yes. so powerful. So mm-hmm. you've also talked about one of your first experiences of orgasming, mm-hmm. feeling, making you feel like your body betrayed you. And I don't know if you can speak to that a little bit, because I'm sure that so many women have this experience with these types of orgasms. Mm-hmm. So this was one of my first experiences um, when I was a, a late teenager, had a fantastic partner who actually also read Dan Savage, and he was trying to figure out how to like prop the pillows under me to make me more comfortable, which is very sweet. And he gave me the elusive G-spot orgasm that at the time, I had no idea what that was. I thought I'd peed the bed. I was totally convinced that is what had happened. And I was super embarrassed. I mean, he was great about it, but also how great, you know, a teenage boy can be when he also thought that I had peed the bed and that was embarrassing. (laughs) Um, So thankfully we worked through that and we, you know, um, continued to date for many years, but it really, yeah, it felt like my body betrayed me. It was like, this is not what's supposed to happen. And ever since then for like, I guess probably almost 10 years, I'd say after that, I, anytime I got even close to fearing, feeling any kind of intense pleasure, I would shut it down. I'd be like, no, 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 not letting my body do that. Um, and Can we just break it down for a moment? Just, um, of course. We talked, we, were, we, we said we were going to get into the nitty gritty. So from an anatomical point of view, what is a G-spot orgasm and what is a regular orgasm? Yeah, so um, the G-spot orgasm is different because it actually has, it has ejaculate, right? So for most women, um, when you have a quote-unquote non-G-spot or regular, however the term that people might want to use, um, you don't typically have that fluid. Um, but with a G-spot orgasm, there is ejaculate that comes out that can smell a little bit like pee, but is not pee. That is the very important distinguishing factor. Um, but it has more of that consistency. Like it's a lot um, more liquidy than like traditional ejaculate or traditional cum. Yeah. And it comes from a different place in your body. Exactly. Yeah. How do we find this G spot? (laughs) The come hither motion, this, this motion right here. (laughs) So curving the fingers in case you're, you're listening rather than watching the fingers, curving the fingers. Yes, exactly. Okay, perfect. And um, so then clitoral stimulation is something different. Yeah. So clitoral stimulation is the external. So that, yeah, the G spot um, is actually like inserting those fingers and then doing the come hither motion. So that you're actually pressing against the G spot and urethral sponge, as I call it. Yeah. Can you access that with intercourse? You can, which is how it happened for me. So I was, this was from intercourse and I think it was these pillows, the way that he positioned them had kind of like curved my pelvis up enough that it was um, that his penis was actually curved in the way that it needs to be for a G-spot orgasm. So certainly it can be done um, with a penis. It can be done with fingers. It can be done with a lot of dildos um, or vibrators anytime, again, that it has that sort of shape to it or that you yourself have kind of curved your body such that it's it's hitting that spot. Okay. So am I, I feel like I'm 
potentially missing out on something here. Like, is this, this is, is this out. something I should be pursuing? Yes, or? Missing out, Liz. <laughs> so now that I no longer have the fear that it's pee um, yeah. and have a partner that is really excited to be doing this with me because he's like, this is super fun. Um, yeah, it's a fantastic experience for me. Now, it isn't for everyone. Like some, some women don't enjoy the sensation. Um, again, like all things related to sex, it's going to be different for some women than it is for others. Um, but yeah, it's a really fun thing to experiment with. Um, and yeah, there's lots of different ways that you can do it, whether it's with a toy, your hand, um, or with a partner. Um, but yeah, I would say it's like for myself, it feels very different. Um, it's, it's like a release in a way that I can't really compare anything else to. And so when it happens as well, I'll just speak from experience. I feel a little mm-hmm. bit proud that I've experienced this, but um, it is so different that you are a little bit surprised. You are a little bit surprised because of that sensation of the fluid coming. Right. And so I would say, how do we, while we're in that, you know, we women, we go right into our heads like, oh my God, what is happening to my body? How do I, you know, like, how do we, and this could be just in general, stay committed to that space of allowing our bodies to do what they need to do while we're experiencing this pleasure? Fantastic question. Um, I mean, for me, I will say I'm going to start with the practical because for me, I'm I'm someone who needs to know that I've done certain things to get myself into that place. So for me, from practical perspective, if I know I've put down some kind of sheets or something that's going to protect that, then then I'm not thinking about all the logistics. Um, so that is just a one practical piece that might help you because I know for me, otherwise, I'm someone who can't stand a messy or dirty house. So that to me is like automatically going to make it less fun. Um, and I think the other piece is like, again, going back to this idea that once you've done it, you have the experience and then it's easier the next time. Like the might, first time you might not enjoy it because you might be like, what is happening to my body? Um, and to differentiate the experience of not necessarily feeling connected versus it being something you truly don't want to do again. But if it's like, oh, that just felt kind of weird. It's like, okay, well, let's try it again. And next time now I kind of know what to expect, that then it might be easier to be present to your body because you have that experience um, from before. And I think the other piece is, if you are going to do it with a partner is to have that conversation with your partner so that you need to, to feel that connection and to make sure there's no reservations on their end. Cause I know for myself, the few times it's happened accidentally, like a great example, that first time it happened um, when I was a late teenager is it was like, he seemed freaked out. So that I freaked out in response. Right. So I wonder if he'd understood what was going on and I wasn't reacting to his experience, whether that would have changed things. So I think having that conversation again, if you're doing it with a partner beforehand, so that you can feed off of their energy. There's themes that you talk about, which I don't know, I guess, I guess I'm curious whether you think about sex in this way, but there are themes that you talk about, which I think if they were practiced in the bedroom could help shift things outside, specifically themes around, you know, giving and receiving and themes around unity and themes around creativity and playfulness and how a lot of those things, things seem to be missing from our world. And even just the connecting with our bodies, right? We go about our day totally disconnected from our bodies, just living life from our neck up and sex, the way you describe it, gives us an opportunity to practice connecting, being in our bodies and being with our bodies. I don't know. Do you think about those themes at all? I I do a lot. And it's funny that you mentioned, particularly the one that's been on my mind is this idea of giving and receiving. uh, Because again, something I still struggle with that I'm such a natural giver as many women are, right? Especially 
those of you who have kids, you're so used to giving to others. And I have a really hard time accepting things. I also, you know, I'm 36 years old and I have a partner, but I've never been married. I've never lived with anyone. So I'm fiercely independent. I'm used to doing everything myself. And I have a really hard time accepting from my partner. And a great example is during this quarantine experience. So I don't live with my partner. And we decided that we were going to continue to see each other. That was it. We were each other's bubble. And I don't have a car. So he's like, I'll come pick you up from your house and I'll drive you home. So you don't have to worry about transit or anything like that because he lives pretty far from my house. And I started to realize how uncomfortable I was. I was like, this isn't even like you're giving too much to me. And I couldn't receive it, even though it made him thrilled. He's like, Kim, I get to see you. This is a win for me. You know, there's so much that I do for him. And then this was his way of, of doing something for me. But I was aware of how much I blocked it and just could not receive. And again, I think that ties into to sexuality, right? Like how often partners have wanted to do things for me. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm good. Right. So that, that blocking of the flow, which creates disconnect which is the exact antithesis of what you're trying to create with a partner, right? So how do, we, how do we take all this amazing information and then obviously, you know, we're like, we're almost cooked, but there's still, there's still time for us to start to learn. But, you know, our daughters, I have a 15-year-old daughter and I want her to have a really healthy um, view, outlook on sex. I want her to have the healthy look on her body. I want her to be able to explore masturbation in the way that, you know, a 15 year old boy obviously would. Um, and also explored in the way that empowers her to be able to know that like, she's got her body, her feelings, and she can pleasure herself anytime. Right. And so how do we now take this information and impart it to our younger generation our children, our daughters, to help them become more uh, sexually healthy, I guess. For me, I always come down to education. And unfortunately, the sex education that most people get in school, I like to think that hopefully it's changed from what I got. But basically, all I got was about STIs, obviously hugely important. Um, And I basically was led to believe that if I looked at a dude, I was going to get pregnant. So like the absolute fear of, of pregnancy. And pleasure piece was like entirely opposite. I don't remember learning that I had a clitoris. That wasn't something that they talked about. So it was all this fear mongering. And I appreciate where that's coming from. Um, You know, we we do need to be very careful about STIs and pregnancy and all those things. But that needs to be countered with all of the sex positivity to go full circle to your initial question when we started. And in the absence of that being taught in school, whether it's coming from a parent Although sometimes I'll be honest, you know, I did not want to hear all the things from my mom, like certain things I wanted to hear from others. And that's why I'm very fortunate. I have a niece and there's certain things that even though Amy and I started Red Ten Sisters together, so she's got like the epitome of a sex positive mom, there are certain things that she'll come to me, right, as an aunt. Um, Or so to have these other figures in in your kid's life who can offer that. And unfortunately, there are some really great resources online. Um, so to have that sex positive information from a variety of different forums. And I would say that's one of the key things is like, how many different places can we reinforce the message? Because unfortunately, a lot of the message, messaging they get is negative. So just hearing it from one place might, might not be enough. So to hear it also said in different ways, you know, I was thinking the other day about how many, you know, self improvement life coaching books I read. of them all have the same message, but I just need to hear it from different people. It's the same message, but with slightly different words, right? Or coming from a different person. And I would say the same is true for sex, that you need to hear it from a variety of different people, even if the core message is the same. 
So you mentioned Come As You Are. Would that be a good book to give to my 15-year-old daughter? Or do you have something else that you might suggest that? So the Come As You Are, I would say, um, I mean, as much as I love it, I think it's a little academic. She actually has a PhD, so it's, it's full. I think there's like 20 pages of references at the end. So I wouldn't necessarily suggest that one. Um, there's a great one. I believe it's called Scarletine. I, and I'm pretty sure they have a website. Um, I can send you a few more if you do it like in the show notes, I can send over some other resources. Um, but yeah, there's certainly some more that I would say are like geared more to that demographic. And I've been a big proponent of using the right terminology from a young age. So even though 15, I would say this, the Come As You Are book is not, it's not that she couldn't handle the information. It's just not presented in a terribly fun way. So I'd say that's the big thing too, is like to not make assumptions about what our kids are ready to hear. From a very technical point of view, I'm curious about, you know, quick things we could learn from a technical point of view that would help increase uh, our confidence. And so we could pick something, whatever you feel comfortable about, uh, comfortable speaking about, whether it's hand jobs or blow jobs or um, anything you want. What are some quick tips you could offer us to help increase our confidence? Just, you know, sometimes we're, when we're doing things, we're like, I don't even know if I'm doing this properly, right? Like, I don't, I don't have a penis. I don't know, <laughs> you know, like. Um, so what are some quick tips that could help increase our confidence? Well, I'll talk about blowjobs because I used to run blowjob workshops. It's one of my favorite things to talk about, much to my mother's horror. She's like, wow, what have I, I, I joke. She's actually very, very proud of me, but she's like, really, Kim? Um, so for me, the, the, the reason I like talking about blowjobs is that I feel like we are, again, shown a very limited way of doing it through porn. It's all about the deep throating and all this sort of thing. It's like, you don't need, unless you love that. That's, of course, um, if that's what you enjoy. But this idea that you have to do certain things for it to be a good blowjob. And I remember in one of the workshops, I used to run a corresponding one for men on how to pleasure women. And I mentioned something about blowjobs. And he's like, if my penis is in a woman's mouth, I'm happy. Anything on top of that is bonus. And I was like, okay, that's a really good that's point. pretty easy. Like, <laughs> yeah, like there's all this obsession with the tips and the like, okay, now you've got to do this, this. And that. it's like, no, we, we overcomplicate it, right? Um, and then the other thing I'd say is that with, when it comes to blowjobs is to use your hands. It's not cheating. And I feel like so many women, myself included, kind of assumed I had to be, my jaw just gets tired depending on the partner. If you're going at it for like 20 minutes, like they're going to cause some serious neck strain. So give yourself a hand literally and, and have some other tools. Um, and then again, speaking of your neck that like, you need to be comfortable. Like if you're constant, like if you're in pain or discomfort, giving a blowjob, then of course you're not going to be present, which leads me to the next most important thing that if you are thinking about the tips and like, oh, what's that thing I'm supposed to do? And like, oh, my neck hurts or my knees are cramping or whatever. It's like, you're not going to be present and that's what they're going to notice. So I really prioritize your comfort as well, because the more comfortable you are, the more present you're going to be. And then if you're present, then you can energetically connect to what's working. You'll be able to tune into like, oh, he seems to really like it when I go this speed but you're not going to notice those things if you're so focused on everything else. Mm -hmm. So again, come from a practical perspective, how can you set yourself up for success? Um, so, you know, if you want to add some lube, if you need like whatever the things are, use toys, like all the different props, but again, using them more to increase your comfort so that you're connected. Cause at the end of the day, really that's the thing that's going to make the best experience. I've heard from so many people you know, that it really is the enthusiasm is what makes mm -hmm. it fun. If they can tell that you're doing it and treating it like a job, that's not fun for anyone. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, let's stay on the tip 
tip uh, bandwagon here. I love this. So, so I'm a, a mom of three kids. Liz has got four kids. Uh, you know, we're busy. We're in our mom brains. We are business women. Um, you know, fairly type A. And and so, like libido is like up and down and mostly down. And so, what tips can you give to women to increase their libido? Like, are there things? Is there like I don't know, aside from, you know, the, the drug to take it, like, yes. to, you know, like, is there other things that we can do naturally to increase our libido? Yeah. And I will quickly rant about the fact that that, um, the pill that they came up for women, uh, did not work whatsoever and had like a million side effects. And I was like, okay, this is not the solution, but does definitely tie into what we're all looking for is like, what's the quickest thing I can do? Cause you're going to hate my answer. There's no like quick thing. It really is coming down to connecting with yourself. And that's, that's a practice that again, will have a beautiful ripple effect. And, you know, the, the, the shortcut that I can offer is like, what is the thing that most quickly gets you out of your head and into your body? So as I mentioned before, for me, it's dancing. Like I can very quickly kind of forget about the world. If I'm listening to a great song and moving my ass, I feel great. And it's really easy for me to, to switch gears. Um, so whatever so will you, you, will you schedule that in? Like, I'm curious about habits and rituals and stuff. So will you schedule in like a mini dance session with yourself? A hundred percent. Yeah. 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 I totally schedule in something that like, cause you know, especially with the job that I have now, as I mentioned, like I'm in a very corporate environment. It's like a very, very male, like stereotypical mm. male environment where you gotta I also, shake it off. <laughs> exactly. Like I'm just used to all of that kind of energy and being, and I'm also a total type, type a personality. I've got all my 50 million to do lists, like quite literal lists everywhere. Um, so that's another part of my practice is that all that shit needs to be out of the bedroom. So like the to-do list, the phone, that's a big one for me. Phones in the bedroom is like a no-no. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I appreciate for some people for practical reasons, if you've got kids or, or parents that you're worried about or whatever, there might be reasons why you need your phone around, but whenever possible to just have that outside. So to have a physical environment that reflects the feeling that you want to have, which is why things like lingerie for some people helps because it's like, okay, I'm literally putting on a different costume. Like I was in my suit. That's one role. Now I'm switching into the other one. And as we said, you know, it's, it's great if you can merge in some ways, but sometimes you really do just need to shake off one energy. So whatever that thing is for you, because as I said, I do have some clients, the lingerie does really help them be like, okay, now I'm in this mode. For me, it's the dancing. Um, for other people, it's going to be other things. Um, but whatever your quickest route is to feeling fully present in your body um, is, is my equivalent of the pill. What about erotica? Like reading erotica? Oh yeah. Yep. Um, reading erotica. There's also, um, some really great, um, audio erotica. So the bed post that you mentioned in my, my intro, Erin Pym, um, she's an erotica writer. So she has both written erotica, but she also, um, reads her own erotica. Um, so some, there's something about hearing the voice, um, that, that I really love. So I, I'd say that's another great way. And then, and then porn, I mean, be careful with your pouring. Cause again, like the whole performative element of it, but thankfully there's a lot of fantastic feminist porn that's, that's emerged in the last sort of 10 to 15 years, pay for your porn. That's always my big thing. <laughs> I can't stand, you know, if you want good porn to be made, you got to pay for it. Um, but yeah, each to their own, like, so whatever, again, as I said, I, I, I wish I could say, here's the one thing you can do, but I'd say the one thing you can do is figure out what the thing is for you. And you might need to explore with listening to erotica, watching it and being like, Oh, I'd like this, but I don't like this. Um, and that some might be applicable to certain times in your life and others not. Right. Um, so sort of related to this, I have a cheat sheet for myself. If I'm not feeling great, I have a list of five things that I can do to pick me up. 
And depending on the scenario, it's like, and how much time I have and all those sorts of things. Cause one of them is calling a friend. Well, my friend might, might not be available. Okay. The next one is I go for rent. I might, might be waiting outside. So I kind of have like a list that I can't come up with an excuse. It's like, all right, Kim, one of these is going to work. And I'd say the similar thing with sexuality and turning your mind off that you might try something in a certain scenario and be like, oh, this isn't working for me today. So to have that top of mind. But the first thing is to notice, which does require us to be present. Yeah, it feels like there's a lot of breaks, right, in our culture towards exploring sexuality this way. It really feels like the breaks are on. We're so busy. We're trying to do too much. There's so much stress, right, which is already that will put downward pressure on any kind of reproductive hormonal activity. So it's, uh, it's nice to hear. I really like that tip about that transition time, right? Just finding that whatever it is, that ritual to shift from the stress of life to the pleasure of companionship with your partner or yourself or yourself. Yeah. What, um, who inspires you? Who inspires you to do this work or who inspires you? Who do you draw inspiration from? I mean, the number one is my niece. I want my niece to have a different experience than I did. Mm. Um, I have chosen not to have children, um, but she is, she's the light of my life. And if I can make mm. her experience better than mine, I will have done my work in the world. How old is she? She's 13. 13, yeah. We have a daughter, 13. Julie has one. It's a little older than that. It's a, it's a precious, sensitive age. It is. Yeah. And as I said, I feel so lucky that she, she still thinks I'm the cool aunt. I hope that continues. Um, and still calls me every once in a while for advice on things. So yeah, I just, I would love for the next generation. And as much as we hear all the negativity about what's happening with the next generation, I actually think that they have figured out some shit that I wish I had figured out at that age, you know, especially around um, gender expression and all these things that they, I think they're, they're not seeing things as narrowly as I did. Um, and that makes me super hopeful. And I just always choose to try and focus on the positive, not that there aren't lots of negative things that you hear in the news around rape culture and all that kind of stuff. So I don't want to gloss over that. Um, there's still lots of work to be done, but I also, I have a lot of hope. Mm, well, you just gave us a really perfect segue into one of our questions that we love to ask, which is what would you say to your 15 year old self? Put yourself first. I mean, as I said, the people pleasing one is so ingrained in me. And I, I wish that at 15, I had... Um, yeah, just put myself first because I was I was always putting other people ahead of me, whether it was friends, partners, family, whatever. Um, and I, I actually, the older I get, the more I have a different relationship to this idea of being selfish. Like it's got such a bad rap, right? Um, but this idea that like, yeah, we should be looking out for ourselves. And that isn't at the cost of others. And I think that's, for me, why this message would be so interesting is that it's really coming from a scarcity place that like, if you're putting yourself first, it therefore means you're putting someone else second. And to me, it's more just about like raising all of us. And mm -hmm. if I could not have had that scarcity mentality and the assumption that me choosing what was right for me somehow was detrimental to others would have meant I probably would have made really different choices in my life. Your sister, Amy, does a lot of work around, um, she does shamanic rituals and also stuff around practices around connecting with the divine feminine. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, do you see any overlap between sexual empowerment and connecting with the divine feminine? Oh yeah. For me, it's all about connecting to something that we can't see. Right. And having that trust. Um, Cause like, you know, when people talk about, you know, what does sexuality empowerment look like? It's like, I can't, there's, it's, it's not something I can define. Right. But I know it when I feel it in the same way that when I feel connected to the universe and to the divine, like I just know it when I feel mm -hmm. it. So I think there's something about, trusting that energy that feels like it's a, a definite parallel for me. Hmm. So you've, you've 
come this far. You had the Red Tent um, Sisters shop. You've did you've done your online shop. You've become a coach. You are now working in a corporate environment. What what are the next steps for you? What is your afterglow? So we like to talk about how you know. there's really no end to what is possible, what your potential is. Right. And so it's not like you reach a certain age and like, okay, this is what you've chosen. You're done. It's like you can keep reinventing yourself. And so what for you is in your future? For me, my work has always been about relationships and communication. It's just come in different forms. And I really believe that my next incarnation, because it's funny, like when you reference what I've done, like, yeah, I've continually sort of pivoted and changed. And people sometimes think about my career and they're like, I don't really see how these are connected. That to me is is the connecting force, is that I've always been about relationships um, and communication and healthy communication. And I heard um, Tony Robbins uh, podcast the other day and he was like, the quality of your life is equal to the quality of your relationships. And I was like, oh, that really hit me because I, I, I couldn't think of anything more true. Mm. Um, so looking at relationships and what I'm planning to do in, in my, my next phase of my career is to continue to work, do the relationship coaching around intimate relationships while also doing coaching with leaders. Um, because my work in the corporate field, I've realized how much we need better communication and how people just have a really hard time saying what they mean um, mm. and actually hearing each other. Mm-hmm and how quickly we go into shame and defensiveness and all these things. And I, I see it play out so strongly in both of those spheres. And my hope is that if I can do both of those work in both of those, that there's going to be again, that synergy and that, that cross pollination. Yeah. I'm, I'm hearing just real intimacy and connection, right? The, the relationships and the communication bring about intimacy and connection, whether it's in the bedroom or in the corporate environment. And, and truthfully, we need that in the corporate environment too. I just think that kind of like um, recapping a few of the things that we can take away from this, which is like, you know, what can we do like today, which is like, you know, as a woman, I'm hearing you say, go buy the lube, go get yourself a vibrator, find your G spot, um, you know, do the things that make you feel your most sensual self. So whether it's dancing or rubbing coconut oil on your body or whatever, like find those ways. Um, obviously a good connected relationship is going to also provide that. So if you're not in the good connected relationship, I think that some of the things that you mentioned really made me, um, a, a little light bulb to that was like, you have to feel safe in this environment, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm taking all of that with me. I don't know, Liz, do you have some other things that you're going to take with you today as well? Absolutely. I mean, you know, my experience with uh, wanting to explore your sexuality is that when we start to connect with our bodies, we can find both pleasure and we can find stuff that has been stored there for a while. And my experience is that... um, our bodies carry our history and sometimes there's pain in there. (laughs) And so sometimes to get to pleasure, you need to release the pain. And that's been my experience. Um, And I know for myself, um, connecting with my body through sex um, brought up, uh, brought up, brought up painful emotions that were stored in there as well. And so I think, you know, my experience is that that's part of what keep, kept me away from it anyways, was not wanting to feel, truthfully, just not wanting to feel. And um, as I develop courage and resources to help me feel 
the discomfort of my painful emotions, I'm, you know, definitely increasing my longing to um, experience the pleasurable ones too, you know, but they come, they come hand in hand, they come together, I find, and diving into our bodies for when we've been cut off from them for so long, it can bring up, it can bring up, you know, a roller coaster ride of emotions. But for me, I am, I'm, I just want, I want to be on the ride, right? I want to be on the ride. And so I'll, I'll do what it takes to figure out how to stay on the ride because shutting yourself down is, um, it's a fate far worse in my experience. Well, I actually just kind of want to piggyback a little bit on what you just said there, Liz, in terms of, you know, that sometimes on the discovery of of our pleasure that we have to go through some of those um, painful experiences. And to me, that goes hand in hand with relationships in general, that we have this idea if it's hard, that means it's wrong. And there's a certain kind of hard that we should not experience and listen to that, like if you're in a relationship that's really not good for you. But I always joke that being in a good relationship is kind of like being in therapy, because you get reflected back all kinds of stuff, right? And so... I think that some of us are sort of too quick to be like dismissive of that if it's not pleasurable. So I think to sort of have a a more nuanced understanding of pleasure, that pleasure sometimes can actually be uncomfortable, but that it's all in service of this greater experience. Um, So I just don't want people to shut themselves down. As you point out, like if it starts to feel hard to recognize that sometimes you have to move through that to get through the other side. And also to your point about having resources, like you don't have to do this alone, whether it's working with a coach or there's so many other forums, depending on what kind of support that you need, um, that I just, I really want people to not feel alone in this journey. And whether it's a friend that you reach out to um, or a professional support person, that I really do think that um, a lot of this work is going to be accelerated and made a lot more um, accessible when you're doing it alongside someone else who can support you. I, I love that. I think that's amazing. And again, like my story is that it was, uh, it was all the pain and it was, I was alone in it and it lasted for a long time. And I actually never even uh, desired to improve it. Mm-hmm. I just thought that this was it for me. And so I'm so thankful for you and for others that are out there to um, be able to share and help us move through our pain and move through a place to find pleasure. So um, thank you so much for being here with us today and guiding us and helping um, other women to find their most courageous selves. Thank you for having me. As you can tell, like I could talk about this stuff all day long. So thank you for giving me a forum to do so. Thank you. So where can we find you? Where can we find more information? Well, I'm actually in the process of relaunching my website. So I'm going to have a, a kimsedgwick.com that will be focused more on my next incarnation that I was talking about around communication. But in the meantime, you can find me at redtensisters.com. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening in. Be sure to follow us on social media at the Afterglow Podcast Official. And take a minute to leave us a rating or review on Apple, Spotify, and Google. Lift a sister up and share the Afterglow with others who are seeking their courageous second act.